0: Welcome to episode 23 of Sounding Board. I'm Rob Langham and if you're expecting our now customary rundown of the best albums for the past year, it is December after all, you'll have to wait for our next episode. Number 24 is to be recorded in our lead studio before Christmas. For now we're playing catch up on what should have been our November episode and tonight as it's getting dark before we leave work. Sweden and Denmark have won playoff games to qualify for the World Cup and the traffic is queuing for seven miles around the North Circular to get into Ikea, we're going to take a look at the musical heritage of Scandinavia, a region that has perhaps punched considerably above its proportions since pop and rock music began. Welcome to our two guests today. First of all, Amy Laurent. Hello. Welcome again. And Brian, Brian Gerrin. Hello. Back, having joined Pete Lloyd for an episode about experimental music back, I think it was in May 2017.
1: Wow, yeah, that's a while back now. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Right. well good to have you both back. Any news so far this week in terms of musical stuff that's been going on? Brian?
1: I've got a couple of small bits. I heard something about this hilarious and and possibly doomed Freddie Mercury biopic, which has run into trouble. They've uh, recently yeah. fired their director, Brian Singer. It sounds like production house Fox had some problems with him taking time off to look after his parents, which sounds pretty horrible, but the production more, in a more entertaining fashion earlier on, uh, there were clashes between Sasha Baron Cohen, who had been lined up to direct, with Brian May, who was producing on it, of course, the, the <laughs> guitarist from, from Queen, um, because apparently Brian May wanted the film to focus more on the work of Queen after Freddie Mercury had left, um, and that was a create serious creative difference, sure. which which uh, commercially driven decision. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, I'm sure that's what everybody wanted to see uh, in the film about Freddie Mercury. So, uh, at, at some point, that film will will come out, but it's going to be in a different form to originally.
0: Yeah, and I think uh, our, our, our regular podder, Ben Wallhead, on his blog, which is Silent Words Speak Loudest, has written a little piece on this and put some links in. So look out for that. We'll probably name check that on Twitter in the wake of the pod. And uh, Brian, you mentioned you might have something else as well.
1: Yeah, uh, uh, well, I don't know if anyone reads the AV Club website. That's a, a general like a, a cultural review website. Yeah. They do their annual best band names of the year roundup, and I would recommend getting on that website and then checking that out that
2: sounds
1: fun it's always hilarious they're grouped by theme um, and there's also links through to you can listen to bands uh, such as I'm trying to remember some of the names I don't have any written down here but check it out they're they're all pretty hilarious Um, most of them are punk bands as you might imagine um, with those great names but yeah get on that for a giggle I'm going to leave you having a look at that and
0: I presume the Beckoning Fair ones are in there somewhere just uh, that's a mention for (laughs) Neil's band for next week (laughs) (laughs) Amy what have you uh, what's caught your eye
2: well I would to do an endorsement, if I might, just in case anybody hasn't heard the, another music podcast uh, called The Hit Parade. It's by Chris Maloney. He's a music journalist and chart analyst. He's got this really great column at Slate called "Why Is This Song Number One." It's like a chart history podcast, I guess, and the episodes focus on a range of different, fascinating stories as told through singles and the US singles chart. And it's really great. So the music is very commercial and mainstream, but I guarantee you'll learn so much, even if you know all of the songs. There's an episode about the song Red, Red Wine, which goes places you really wouldn't expect it to go to. There's another one about charity singles. There's a really amazing episode about um, Elton John and George Michael and their relationship to each other. And they don't drop very often. He tends to release them about once a month. But whenever he does, I'm on it. It's always the highlight of my week. So that the hit parade.
0: That sounds like a good recommendation. And to be honest, I've been struggling a little bit to get podcasts that I feel really wedded to in musical terms, and that's one of the reasons why we started this one and completely failed to fill the gap. But, uh, yeah, that, that sounds really good. I'd certainly be checking that out. From my point of view, I just want to sort of mention the death of Johnny Halliday, who was a sort of massive star in France. And despite having nicknames such as the French Elvis and the Victor Hugo of tunes, and selling 110 million albums worldwide was practically ignored in britain and america despite not sounding french at all why we don't know i mean he certainly courted american and british culture i mean coco shows the tennessee was one of his songs yeah. and at one point apparently jimmy hendrix actually supported him in a gig in paris and he also apparently packed out the royal albert hall a couple of years ago but apparently it was mainly expats yeah, who know. showed up for that one he was i guess i don't know he's probably got a reputation of perhaps unfairly for being a bit middle of the road, I guess. I mean, he was friends with politicians like Sarkozy. I mean, the French love plowing their own furrow and having their own kind of heroes. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's a curious thing that we might return to on other podcasts, sort of people who are famous only in their in their native country and it, how it doesn't translate. I mean, there are obviously yeah. plenty of British acts for, for whom that's the case as well. But yeah. And we possibly don't acknowledge that. But, uh, but, you know, sheer size of his popularity was incredible. And very sadly, he died of lung cancer. So, uh, yeah, he's passed on. And uh, mm. a- any thoughts on Halliday? Are you, are you familiar with his work I'm at all? Actually
2: not. I know the name, but I don't think I've ever heard any of his songs. And mm. now this is often the way where somebody passes. So there's a lot of media coverage of them all of a sudden. And then posthumously, you check out their work and sometimes get into what they did. So I'll be trying him out.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember, like, talking to people. When I was on French exchanges when I was a kid and asking them what music they listened to. and Whereas Germans, it was always like, oh, Depeche Mode. You know, yeah. with with the French, it was often, oh, Johnny LED. And it was, right. yeah, interesting. So um,
2: did he try to break other countries?
0: Oh, I, I think so. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think he certainly, certainly America in particular. I mean, I understand that he was absolutely steeped in Americana, so... Right. Uh, you know, curious
2: America's a difficult one to break, though think Yeah. It how is. hard Robbie Williams tried and how he failed
0: that's right and, um, and, and actually I think we'll return to this in our main bit of the podcast on on, on Scandinavia because one issue I wanted to talk about was, was singing in different languages yeah. which I think Halliday probably sang a bit in both I mean I'm guessing a bit there I must admit maybe people can tweet in and say which is correct let's see um, I, th- I think uh, I think that's an interesting theory because yeah. I think there's some ridiculous figure about the small number of chart hits in Britain that have been sung in foreign languages, like three in mm. like 40 years or something. So we really don't like it when people don't sing in English. So,
2: with the notable exception of some Spanish language tracks like Despacito. Of course, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's true. Three is probably an underestimate, but anyway, I was sort of speaking for effect. Anyway, no, (laughs) no, it's true. Anyway, after this break, we're going to be sort of plunging into all things Scandinavian. As promised, we're going to talk today about the music of Scandinavia. And when I say Scandinavia, that is really just the four countries, Finland, Norway, Sweden and Denmark. Uh, we're going to leave Iceland to another pod and I think technically it's one of the Nordic countries rather than Scandinavia. Yeah. Plus it has a particularly rich tradition, of course, with some really superb acts, given that it's only got about 275,000 people or something like that. I so, like so Iceland
2: also has an aesthetic of its own. Yes, I think ways. it probably
0: does. Yeah, yeah. There's some similarities, but I think, yeah, it, it, it is it is a kind of special case, I think. In time on a fashion, with our sort of features on certain sort of genres of music, or eras of music, or geographical spaces of music, we're going to sort of pick a, an artist or a band each from this region. And uh, Brian, you're going to kick off.
1: Yes, I'd like to start with a band that are probably not that well known in the UK, um, called Motorcycle, who are a rock band from Norway. That's motor. P-S-Y-C-H-O. Very clever pun. They can't take credit for it totally, though they took it from a a Ross Myers film from the 70s. Um, And this is a band who I came across in 2006. A a Spanish friend of a friend passed a CD on to me of a a double album they did called um, Full Moon Blank Canvas. And it was one of those albums that I think I listened to it every day for about three months. Really loved it. And then much later on discovered that they've had a a, a really rich back catalogue. They've been around since the late 80s. They've recorded... About twenty-two studio albums and EPs, and I listened to all of them in the last couple of weeks. Whoa. So well, that's preparation I, for you. I, yeah. I, well, I just, I just put it on in the background mainly. So it's which is probably too much of one band to listen to in a short space of time. I don't know if I like them anymore, but I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna tell you about them in the hope that some people will find some value in it, uh, and then probably never listen to them again. So uh, yeah, Motorcycle from from uh, Trondheim in Norway. Um, their their music is very difficult to classify because they jump from one genre to the next. Their most uh, most commonly described as being a psych, sort of a psych and prog band, and the '70s and '60s influence was very strong in their music. Their first two albums, uh, "Lobotomizer" and Eight Soothing Songs for Rut," uh, are both both very, like very proto-grunge songs. They sounded like early Soundgarden. That wasn't their best incarnation. Later on, they really opened up in their musical style. They brought in a, a sound artist, a guy called Death Prod. Um, who came in and joined the band, a multi-instrumentalist, on their album Demon Box, which featured some, a lot more acoustic guitar, some folky numbers, um, some violin. And then it became clear that they were just going to do what they wanted to do in terms of, of styles. And then they moved on to other albums, which sounded a bit more like uh, *Archers of Loaf* for Deus, um, if anyone knows those Ooh, bands. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they kind of got into a, a, a grungy emo sound, um, before their album Blizzard came out, B-L-I-S-S-A-R-D, which is probably the best starting point if you're looking for an mm-hmm. accessible way to get in, which is, was just a straight up upbeat pop rock, which sounded like Nada Surf, a little bit like Dinosaur Jr. in parts. That before evolving again into a, a much more experimental proggy sound in later later albums, Angels and Demons at play was, was the next one. And another one called Trust Us then, where the songs got much lo- longer, saxophones appeared. Lots of anthemic themes and, and re- real proggy feel to it. Then they did an album called Let Them Eat Cake, which sounds sounds like Andy Williams. It's real lush uh, studio, kind of 1960s style sunshine pop. Uh, and then they uh, they went on with, with more recent albums, um, Full Moon Blank Canvas, um, Heavy Metal Fruit. So yeah, I, I'm not going to go through every single one of them. Oh, they also had an album of country and western hits called, a songs called The Tussler which, sa- listening to it, it's, it's not very good country and western. It sounds like they're making fun of, of the uh, the tropes of, of country and western, but apparently not. Apparently it was very serious stuff. So in Norway and uh, Germany and parts of mainland Europe, they're very well known. They, they tour just about every year. They release an album almost every year and long albums, double albums, 19-track albums. I don't know how they managed to do it. And outside of that, the band members also do studio work. So these are, these are guys who just love what they do. They go into the studio. Uh, and they they, they they have this unbridled enthusiasm for music and playing and if, if you want to get into this band that's your starting point you have to get on board with their enthusiasm they, they somehow manage to be derivative of about six different musical styles at the same time and they often wear their influences on their sleeve a little bit too closely particularly with Led Zeppelin on a couple of albums but otherwise I find them very enjoyable that every song they do is, is based on a, a fairly simple kind of riff which which kind of anchors even their more uh, proggy and kind of expressive and self-indulgent music is anchored in something that's quite enjoyable. And, and the, if you like rock and you like that driving rhythm, um, they're a band that you, you can get into certainly without too much trouble. With with the added caveat that they are very much English as a second language, um, and they, 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 there's a few cliches, few cliches in their lyrics that kind of kind of clang a little bit and are a little bit cringy. Yeah. But by and large, I think it's quite effective. Well, it doesn't sound like we should blame them for that.
0: I mean, it sounds like we should be welcoming their ability to sort of channel andy williams and Led zeppelin I mean, extraordinary really.
1: it, yeah. it, it, it it's 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 a very difficult band to explain that that sounds in, improbable but you can every album sounds like them um they do have this particularly their very their guitar is, is excellent they've got a very strong guitar sound and it's it's not like noodling or showing off guitaring it, it guitar playing it's uh it's very cultured um and that 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 really anchors their sound and makes everything distinctive and, and, and quite enjoyable for me I play a bit of guitar as well so that's That's probably the main reason I I listen to them, um, or or have done quite a lot very recently. Certainly very recently by the (laughs) sounds
0: of it. I'm going to talk a little bit about radio department who are from Lund in Sweden, which is a city I've been to, I really recommend you go to. It's a university town, a bit like Cambridge. It's quite small in southern Sweden, quite near Malmo. And they came to my attention really because they were sort of championed by Pitchfork Probably around two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight. So you're talking about ten years ago now. And there was mm. an era where I just watched Pitchfork like a hawk to see anything they gave more than eight out of ten for their own album. And and this their album, clinging to a scheme, w- w- was the one that was picked out, which I really loved. Mm. They're, Amy knows a lot about these these guys as well so she might correct me in a minute on some of these misconceptions no. but I mean they, they, they've they been on Labrador Records who are who are purveyors of, of real kind of Scandi indie pop indie pop is like a real tradition in, in Scandinavia which we'll, we'll return to in a mm. bit I think there's like a great tradition of it but I would say it's not just indie I mean there's a kind of electro element to it they've sampled sort of the hip-hop documentary Star Wars which is a classic from 1983 mm. they occasionally have like mild kind of hip-hop-y type beats in the background, you know, it's a very kind of lush, sort of flooding synths along with sort of softly spoken vocals and although they're Swedish they remind me a little bit of the kind of remixes that another Scandinavian band Kings of Convenience uh, have released who are from Norway and uh, they released a string of EPs in the early part of the noughties against the tide in 2000 through to putting our weight in 2003 and apparently they're very very fussy about aesthetics and about politics which i'll come to in a minute but their their shows apparently also tend to last the princely total of about 20 minutes which i mean i've never seen them but that actually isn't completely unwelcome to me but i'd probably want a little bit more than 20 minutes i think like half an hour so they're probably sort of ideally suited to festivals where you Know they, they could do 10 minutes sound checking and then play the 20 minutes and still be within the half hour time slot. Oh, I think the
2: Beatles only played for 20 minutes. Oh, it, did so? they?
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's interesting. And just in terms of politics, they've been quite vocal recently critical of the rise of the far right in sweden which is becoming like quite a big issue and the, mm. the ruling swedish conservative party as well so so i think uh,
2: and swedish arms trade which is something we don't know very much about no but mm. one
0: can well imagine that it's probably sort of a lot, a, lot of a, a darker part of their contemporary history than maybe they're given credit for so yeah but, but well worth checking out i'd say and uh, amy you've got some thoughts yeah. i'm sure on them as well oh yeah.
2: i love love the radio department they're so atmospheric They are they have that indie pop tradition of yes, a lot of their melodies are really pretty, but they just have a way of using kind of cheap Casio keyboards and drum machines and kind of and and feedback and white noise and just washing everything in a really interesting way that sounds really kind of wistful and sad. It's lovely, it's really unique. I don't know anyone I don't know any other band that can do it quite so successfully. It's in that sort of dream pop kind of area of kind of making everything sound like it's recorded underwater which is kind of my favourite genre I really really love um, the radio department and I wish they would release albums more frequently than every
0: seven years yeah have they got new material that's about to come I mean is, is they released
2: an album last year right yeah which sounded like actually it sounded like they'd upgraded to Band, like they finally let go of the Casio keyboards and the, those kind of very very cheap synthy sound effects mm-hmm. And it sounds
0: a little bit more, maybe slightly nineties, maybe right. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's
2: quite. It's more overtly political.
0: Okay. All right. Yeah. And I have to give away a secret here that Amy and I were wrestling a little bit over, like, who was going to talk about Radio Department. <laughs> and as the purveyor of this podcast, I sort of, uh, I, I sort of took over control and was very selfish about the whole matter.
2: Quite rightly.
0: Yeah, Amy. Who do you want to talk about?
2: I just want to really briefly. Um, dropped the name of an electro-pop band who were also signed to Labrador originally and really came out of that noughties flood of indie-pop bands that, you know, um, it was such a kind of fertile indie-pop sort of time, the mid-noughties. And then they signed to Geffen and it really looked like they were going to be the next international big pop act for a while. And then things sort of exploded, they were dropped from Geffen. They released one album, then nothing happened for a while. This duo are called The Sound of Arrows. Have you heard of
1: them? No, I haven't, I must admit.
2: It's an absolute travesty that nobody's heard of them because their 2011 album Voyage is one of the best electro-pop albums ever recorded. It's beautiful. Um, They're like um, sort of an indie electro-dream-pop Pet Shop Boys, a duo, but kind of with less witty urbanity than the Pet Shop Boys and a bit more sort of childlike wonder. some more naive. And they're really they use images really interestingly as well so all of their singles have these really beautiful music videos and so those songs kind of become sort of amazing audio visual experiences they're really great then everyone thought they'd split up for a while there was just radio silence for years no one knew what happened then this year they dropped a second album uh, called stay free which is a more 90s dance pop influence which is where things are really going now I'm trying to get into it. I don't love it quite as much, but really that 2011 album Voyage is just pop perfection. It doesn't get any better than that. Um, So I really recommend
0: them. Great. And I'm sure when Ben puts together the Spotify playlist, we'll include some. Now you're probably thinking, you know, we've got about, I don't know, 17, 18 minutes into the podcast and we're yet to mention some of the biggest acts in Scandinavian music. And we've each picked three fairly less well-known purveyors. So, Let's, let's look at this. I mean, the biggest Scandinavian act of all time are unquestionably Abba. Mm. I don't think they probably were the, the, the first band to really become sort of massive from this country and they are and from from this region and they are still. Probably one of the biggest bands of all time, the biggest pop bands of all time. I've got some
2: stats, if you'd like some stats. Yeah, go on. Actually, interestingly, they weren't the the first pop export from Sweden. The first pop export was was a band called Blue Swede, who had a number one US hit with Hooked on a Feeling in 1974, which was then superseded by Waterloo, also in 1974, but really Abba were the first um, breakthrough, consistent act. So they have got the the top 15 biggest selling Swedish acts. really is that Sweden is the the biggest exporter of of pop music. So number one is ABBA with 380 million copies together. This is album and single sales together. ABBA 380 million plus sales worldwide. A couple of years ago, I think ABBA Gold surpassed Sgt. Pepper as the best selling album.
0: Right. Mm.
2: Which tells you something.
0: Yeah, it really Um, does. Then
2: second is Roxette.
0: Yep. Yeah.
2: Third is Ace of Bass, which yes. were a few sweet years in the mid-1990s. Really ruled chart music. Then the, the fourth is Ibi- Avicii. I didn't realise Avicii was such a big deal. He's, a, he's a, a DJ that's... he's he's He had a song called Wake Me Up. It's kind of like a, a sort of thumpy disco country song. Anyway, Europe... Then Spotniks, who I've never heard of. Then the Cardigans, who we've all heard of. Then Dr. Alban. Mm. Oh, I forgot he was Swedish, yeah. Then Alcazar at number 9. Then Viking Arna at number 10. Anyone?
0: No. No, no idea.
2: Then Swedish House Mafia at number 11. Then Rednecks at number 12. They just yes. had one song. How is that possible? Yes, yeah, so I then, had
0: no idea they were Swedish either. Did you not? No, mm. no, no. Oh,
2: there's like a, a, a lot of those one-hit wonder Euro pop songs from no. the 90s were were Swedish actually.
0: Where did they come from? Where did they go? <laughs> Where did they come from? Where did they go?
2: I can.
1: I can Sorry, remember.
0: you've done me too much of a service <laughs> laughing at that. <laughs>
1: I can remember them being interviewed on MTV actually, and they were pretending to be from somewhere in the southern US with these accents, and it was it was it was quite painful to watch. Wow! Because of course they they weren't just turning up with this style of music; they were dressed kitted up like they were mm. they were from a uh, yeah yeah poor guys.
2: Poor guys. They were put in a really difficult position by their record company, I'm sure. Thirteen Army of Lovers. No. Fourteen A no. teams who A teams A star teens. That's spelled. Do you remember mm-hmm. then? They were like a um like a teenage abba tribute act
0: no in the 90s. No. i wonder where bjorn again come in but i guess they probably didn't release their own music did they they're just a no, live I phenomenon yeah a big a deal it's
2: 18s and mm. at 15 was eagle eye cherry
0: oh More yeah sales and his sister right yeah and yeah. that was also news to me that nana cherry was swedish earlier on yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's these guys and then just a sea of white people. Scandinavian I mean, music. I think this. am sure there are hip hop artists in Sweden, but they haven't broken internationally, as far as I'm aware.
0: No, and then talking beyond Sweden, and of course, Aha approached the status of Ava in the '80s and became absolutely massive as well. Another big act, of course, is Robin, who didn't appear in that 15, did? Uh...
2: No, I mean, she's not in the top 15. She's still she's still a top tier pop star, I would say. I think her her, I think Robin produces some of the best pop music around i think there was a, a kind of the early 2010s was all about these kind of big female pop stars and they were all very they all projected an aura of of confidence but robin was different she was she was allowed to there was a, there was a sort of there was a sadness there and a vulnerability and she was older than the rest of them and she you know she wasn't as classically beautiful and there was just something more interesting about her because of that if you listen to call your girlfriend it's a song where she's i'm sorry this is a bit of a sideline but it's just a really interesting song i think because she's telling her um lover tell call your girlfriend and tell her that you've met someone else but and it's never said in the song but there's just this undercurrent and you just know that he's never going to there's that kind of vibe to robin's song that she's like she's perpetually the underdog
0: Yeah, well, the dancing on your own is is a classic, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, coming back to the issue here, we're talking about how rednecks tried to suppress their Swedishness and bands, we talked about it with the Johnny Halliday section earlier on, bands trying to sing, well, singing in English, maybe almost having to kind of suppress the fact that they're from Scandinavia, you know, in order to Mm. try and hit that British or American market. Isn't there an element of that going on here? And, And is Scandinavia probably better at this than maybe the french and the italians and the germans are i don't know Is well i suppose know?
2: scandinavia hasn't been so protectionist of its own language as say france has yeah so um they may be adapted earlier on to singing in english they mm. speak very good english most of them speak better english than i do mm. so perhaps it was easy enough for them to do that um, but it certainly has helped them internationally
1: Yes. Yeah, so, uh, certainly a lot of the bands on this list that we, we've spoken about were ones that I would not have known were, were from outside an English-speaking country at first. Yeah. Like, I think that the Hives are Swedish as well. Oh, that's yeah, right. The yeah, Swedish. They're not on here. Yeah. And um, certainly in their, their singing, that you wouldn't hear an accent. And I'm sure the record label are trying to promote them as being, you know, national nationality as, as not being an issue. Um, so that, that, that'll, that'll push in that direction as well. Yeah, I mean, we're not talking about folk music here, we're talking about pop music, which is yeah. a kind of a big mishmash of international influences all, all pushed in together. Of course it is, mm, yeah. yeah. But I think it's safe to say, I mean, the cultural impact of
0: the region is, is spectacular, really. Uh, I mean, do you think there's a particular Scandinavian aesthetic in music? I mean, things I'm thinking of are kind of icy synths, a strong sense of clean melody... That perhaps mirrors other characteristics of the region. I mean, I hate to mention them again, but IKEA, straight lines and angularity, and sp- spectacular wintry landscapes, a sense of mystery. Thinking of you know the killing and Wallander and films like Let the Right One In, and mm. you know, is is there something going on there? You know, I think
2: um, there's definitely uh, looking from the out, looking at it from the outside. That's certainly the impression that I have of it. I think all of those descriptors that you've given to it, they, they ring true to me. Um, certainly it's I, I, I always associate it with a kind of refinement you don't go to Scandy Pop for rawness generally and this is you know with the accept- rock music is accepted because you know they, they go um, louder and brasher with rock music than, 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 than many other countries do um, or to an extent um, that other countries don't but I don't know there's something kind of emotionally removed or introverted about some of the indie pop music and pop music so some people who like their their pop rougher around the edges can maybe find it a little bit cold blooded but because they have had such a um, a great kind of democratic municipal education system in sweden a lot of them are really good musicians and really accomplished and so i think it derives from that
0: yeah i mean they're some of the bands i'm thinking of i mean you can sometimes tell from the vocals you mentioned with rednecks and others brian that that you, you can't tell from the vocals with a lot of the bands, but I think a couple like maybe the Wanna Dies in particular, I think, you know, the media, mm. you hear that song, that You and Me song, you think, right, they sound like they're Scandinavian, <coughs> you know, they've got that, that that slightly, I don't know, modest frame of delivery, you know, yes. like those are very modest countries, most of the Scandinavian lack of countries. Aggression. Yes, yes, and uh, I think maybe that comes in. It was the
2: Wanna Dies, and then there was another band called Popsicle. And yeah. those two bands were, I think, kind of ground zero for like the, you know, and, and like the Cardigans as well. Oh, that was just the start
0: of the indie pop boom. And the Concrete, I think, was, I think I'd put in that as well. The yeah, as well. yeah, yeah. And Soundtrack yeah. of Our Lives, you know, I think there's quite a few, yeah. yeah. Yeah,
1: I mean, we are talking about pop music here, which is going to be tending towards the shiny and the, the well produced yeah. and the well packaged. There, there are other musical traditions. That's right. In, in the Scandinavia, sure. uh, there's lots of black metal and death metal. Which I'm not—I don't know very much about, but it does not sound like the cardigans. Um.
0: <laughs> and yeah, I think I think we're going to kind of explore that in in a couple of minutes. I think there's certainly we do need to take that into account. I mean, it, yes, it's we'll get to that. you know yeah. the country seems to have like, like one or two of them, Finland in particular, which unfortunately I could only really think of one band, Hanoi Rocks, who I'd heard of from 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 Finland. There's, can mm. anybody? Bombfunk uh, MCs, aren't they from? Right, that big okay. song. Mm. I think so. Yeah, I
2: think I are you. just in our indie pop bubble over here. Yeah, that's way.
0: right. Although talking about the ind- outside the indie pop um, bubble, one thing that you've mentioned to me in the past, Amy, is that Sweden's got a bit of a tradition in particular for for producers. Yeah,
2: yeah Sweden is really in the history of Sweden and how this came about is really interesting. I like, I just mentioned they've got this this uh, history of municipal musical education it started in the 1940s as a way to kind of educate educate children uh, away from what was considered to be degenerate american music in the 1940s mm. and it continued for kind of you know a, a few decades in this kind of morphed into this very democratic kind of community of musicians and songwriters and abba was really a direct you know result of that program and and generations on just means that stockholm is now uh to pop music what nashville is to country music it's like a hub of songwriting and production and sweden Mm. is i think the biggest exporter of pop music per capita in the world and the third biggest globally so when you, I mean, you look at if you if you look at sort of the the big you know teen pop revival in the late in, in the late nineties up to now, people like Taylor Swift and Katy Perry and all of those guys has been dominated by by swedish men people like dennis pop and max martin and red one as well red ones work with lady gaga really like generally if you're enjoying a mainstream american pop hit now it's generally the, like, either produced or produced and written by a middle-aged swedish man
0: which people wouldn't necessarily know would they so yeah
2: no they, they wouldn't they wouldn't necessarily know i think it, with, with some of them many of them came from that um heavy heavy rock tradition actually mm. and many of them were members of, of 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 metal bands in their youth and which is why max martin kind of brought those influences into some of his when you when you listen to kelly clarkson kelly clarkson and, and some and, and pink and some of those mid-naughties songs that really had kind of a a soft rock edge that's because max martin came from that rock tradition he was bringing that into the mainstream so yeah it's a a huge huge deal these these Swedish super producers run the show
0: yeah and I think there's also a shout out here for in the more mainstream side of things for one or two people from other countries Todd Terrier I think has been sort of quite successful the last couple of years from Norway and I think he does a lot of his own production and yeah. and then of course how could we possibly have forgotten about Wigfield oh, yeah. Mark. Yeah. Uh, I still
2: remember that dance
0: yeah. So moving moving on to the kind of darker stuff and the slightly heavier stuff. I mean, there are some bands that I wouldn't say like super heavy, like Leather Nun from Sweden and and uh, Ice Age from Denmark and one or two mm. others who who, oh, who yeah. are at the more rock ends of the spectrum. But that whole uh, sort of death or black metal scene, Brian. Uh, that's something that you know was a, had a bit of a flowering, if that's probably not quite the right word, in, in the early <laughs> a, 90s. A, a withering. But yeah. do you want to tell us a little bit about that? And, sure. You know, it, yeah.
1: it, it's like a lot of musical genres that are based around um, uh, mythology and, and, and shock factor. The, the music itself is extreme. It's, it's very fast drumming, fast guitar playing, and shrieking vocals uh, by somebody wearing what is known as corpse paint, uh, which is a uh, white, white-out face Facebook with 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 black, uh, patterns drawn on just to be all that bit, a bit more scary. And there's bands like um, Mayhem, um, uh, Burzum, Dimu Borgir are probably some of the biggest ones who, uh, who who do that that kind of music. And it's it's popular. You know, metal as a subculture of music has been very popular for. For a long, long time, since since the late seventies, um, and it's always there, and, and it's more more listened to than you would think. If you if you, you know turning on a, an average radio station, there are, are millions and millions of people who get into it, and this is at one particularly dark and, and bleak corner of it. the The mythology around this in particular is quite shocking. In, in, in Norwegian black metal, there's um the the this, this, the lead singer from um Burzum was convicted of, of, of murdering a a, a a bandmate. There are tales of cannibalism and yeah. a, a spate of, of church burnings in Norway as well, which which is all pretty unsavoury. But it, it, in a sense, it, it's kind of like, you know, if people listen to gangster rap and there's a particular rapper who, who you know, has been shot in a, a number of times, or it kind of gives the, the bands a certain level of credibility, given the, the subject matter of their, their music. It, it kind of adds to the mystique of it. I mean, um, I mean
2: to what extent is it theatrical, though?
1: I, there's an awful lot of theatre involved in the the live shows. Um, yeah, and they're, they're playing or, or up to Are it. they
2: are they real Satanists, or is 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 there is there a lot of showmanship to this mythology that they? I think the vast majority of their products. I think the
0: vast majority of it is, but unfortunately, it has spilled over into real nastiness. So I think Brian mentioned Varg mm-hmm. Vikernes. You know, is the guy who went, yeah, he murdered. You know, one one of the other leaders of a band, a, a guy called Euronymous the guitarist of mayhem and and that was you know he was in prison from 93 until he was released in 2009 i think one could safely say that in a slightly less liberal system like america he probably would still be mm-hmm. in jail and i have seen articles about saying that as you say, the theatre, you know, the, these were a few kind of like really extreme people. And don't get me yeah. wrong, there were a lot of church burnings. Apparently there were like near to a hundred church burnings. Yes. an attempted church burnings.
2: Not
1: just Yeah. yeah. ancient, beautiful wooden churches yeah. that they had yeah. in Norway were sort of Yeah.
0: Yeah. So pretty nasty. And apparently it all revolved around a records shop in Oslo. But... But that said, oh apparently, like, a lot of scenes, like, the vast majority... I've read the majority of people were actually, like, pretty normal and not prone to these kind of things. So this begs the question, how much do you, can you blame the music or is it the people or, or whatever? Well, I don't know.
2: I, what I would say, in in defence of... Um, church burning. Black and death metal. <laughs> church, church burning, generally, and specifically black metal and death metal. Okay. I went to Cora with the question why is this music so big in scandinavia and i found some statistics that say that um metal music is statistically more popular in wealthier and more liberal countries
0: really
1: yeah okay Mm.
2: so take that as however you like
1: yeah yeah it's also something you, Mm. you, you might want to tie to rural isolation like vargvikernis you know part of his myth is that he grew up basically isolated by himself on a Cabin on a mountain, yeah, uh, with, with with very little contact with other people, um, mm. and and perhaps the, the music comes from some places that are quite cut off and in very very desolate areas.
0: I see. Yeah, many years later, of course, Anders Breivik as well, of course, sort of murdered a lot of people on that island in Norway. So you know, I think you know there is a dark side to any society. Is he a F- I don't know. I don't know, but he's certainly a far right sympathiser, more, more far right yeah. exponent. So, yeah, and, and sort of talking about a different frame of, of darker music. I mean, one act and, and its various spin-offs we haven't discussed yet, who we're going to move on to when we talk about the album of the month, is The Knife, who is uh, sort of one of my favourite bands, I have to oh, say. Really? I really, really like them. But I would say, and this is bringing us back into some of the same territory as our Radiohead discussion a couple of episodes ago, or last episode, in fact, in that their early material is, is far more poppy and far more kind of wholesome, you know, like it's, uh, you know, lots of, I mean, there's always had been an interesting element of slightly warped sexuality to it and that kind of thing. But I think like they had some real kind of banging pop tunes yeah. on their first two or three albums. That and cover
2: they did of Jose Gonzalez's Heartbeats was...
0: Oh, that is just wonderful, yeah. And Mm -hmm. Silent Shout, the album, which I think was a Pitchfork number one album of the year in about 2006, is just an extraordinarily good album. And Forest Families in particular is a great song, Like a Pen, you know, it's a great band. They then disappeared for years and then produced their most recent album, which I think now is quite old. I I can't remember what it's called now, but it was about six years ago. And that was a much, much darker affair. And then in Mm -hmm. the interim, Karen Freya Anderson sort of released under under the name Fever ray her first album of material which was which was very very good but much much darker Mm. and i think you know she does like to explore kind of themes of kind of sadomasochism and you know mental health issues and these, these these kind of things so you know again that's like the flip side but the possibly more listenable flip side compared to uh, mayhem and uh, Thorns and Burzum, <laughs> who we were mentioning it earlier on. Um, anybody else? I and mean, Brian, are you familiar with the Knife? Do you like their stuff?
1: Um, I haven't listened much to the Knife. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid to say. I ha- I've listened more to Fever Ray, actually. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which we're going to talk about after this break.
0: so we were talking about the knife before the break and the spin-off project fever ray who have emerged after i think something like an 8 year gap with a new album called plunge which i must admit i was very excited to hear was coming out
2: did it drop was it a surprise
0: drop I think it was I think it was one of those ones where there was no advanced publicity and it's been out since November now I mean obviously that's meaningless in podland where you could be listening to this in 2019 or something but but yeah take it from us the album's just come out any thoughts folks Brian to start with
1: I, I liked it. I, I liked it compared to their previous... Uh, to her previous album, I should say. I, I I bought that when it came out and I listened to it maybe two or three times. It just didn't really sit very well. I thought it was a little bit too gloomy. But this one is a, bit, a lot more upbeat. There's some more danceable tracks. There, there's, there's, there are songs with, with more... With with more rhythm to them, more beats going on. Songs like yeah. "Want a Sip" and I don't know about you, are, I think they are more upbeat. I'm not talking about the lyrical subject matter now, but just the the feel of them is is a bit more more positive. And I've, I I did put more effort into listening to this, and I found that once you you get a bit more into the character of the singer as an artist and what the themes are, that it does it does work better. I I generally do find that the vocal style or the the, the treatment of the vocals is a little bit weird. There's this double track thing where. One one recording is dropped an octave, and it, it kind of makes it. Uh, this gives it this kind of woozy, kind of alien sound to her vocal, which it, it kind of good in the sense that it it works with a lot of the themes of identity. It kind of it makes her voice kind of androgynous, and uh, you know, I, I found that was a little bit interesting. Um, yeah, but yeah, I, I I did enjoy it eventually, but I, it it did need to, I didn't need to put a bit of effort into it.
2: Yeah. It's so interesting that you thought that this was more upbeat than her previous album because I thought it was a lot darker than her previous album and that's not Yes, there are a lot of there's a lot of propulsive rhythm in this but that mm. rhythm is to because it's so skittish and irregular. It did sit very uneasily with me. Oh. It made me quite anxious. Actually. Okay.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> um so no, it wasn't really it wasn't really for me. Um, I am I am one of those basics that grew apart from the knife as they got more experimental. Unfortunately, so I was never really going to like this, and I, I would be, I would be surprised if this won over any new fans because it's 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 not particularly accessible. I don't think.
0: Yeah, I th- I, I, I think it's... I've been wavering as to whether it's more accessible than the first album. I must admit, I, and the first album did come. I remember bought the CD and it came with some quite interesting remixes, which went on for a long time, but were good. I, I think it's. I mean I think they've always taken the the template we were talking about earlier on the Scandinavian template of the kind of icy synths and like put it through some kind of warping machine in terms of the, the subject matter and the vocals in particular has always been weird vocals you know the male singer for the knife I, I mm. unfortunately can't remember his name he he's al- always had some Olaf really odd one yeah Fro- that's right. Frozen yeah <laughs> <laughs> no his name's
2: actually Olaf it's
0: not Olaf it's possibly, a, I possibly it. a bit like Ina in the Sugar Cubes I said we weren't going to talk about uh, about Iceland on this but, but you know an element that he's maybe maybe Karen has, has outgrown the band a bit I think but I would like to see them return and actually when I heard the single is it To the Moon and Back? Yeah. When I heard that in advance of the album, I had eager anticipation because I thought that was an absolutely superb that single. a
2: long time ago, didn't it? It did. Back in May or something. And I thought if the
0: whole album's like that, we are really onto something here and it could be like return to what the knife were like in the early days. And I, I, It doesn't, does it? I mean, no. And, and you if know, that's
2: what you're hoping for. You're going to be really disappointed. Yeah, yeah.
0: Because I thought that is a great tune. It's a really, really good yeah. tune. it definitely being one of my sort of favourite ones of the year. I have to say, though, utterly filthy lyrics and yeah. lyrics lyrics that are reminiscent of mrs slocum and john inman verbal <laughs> jousting in are you being served absolutely yeah. filthy and like i don't quite know whether i'm gonna let karendrea anderson get away with those lyrics whether it's whether she's just being mm. utterly ironic or there whether that's just when, a misjudgment there are times
2: when the the, 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 the the, some of the instrumentation just drops out for a second, just so you can really focus on just how particularly filthy one line is. Yes,
0: yeah. 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 Um, and I think there's been some interesting interviews, I think, with her. There was one in oh, The Guardian, really? yeah, yeah, about sexuality. And She's a,
2: she's a really interesting oh, yeah.
0: person. Yeah. Well, I think when they started The Knife, didn't they? They were incognito in stage shows, weren't they? They're were one of these bands who have kind of masks and yeah. things like that, a bit like Goat, who are another band from Scandinavia who we haven't mentioned oh, yet. Yeah. I not know that. Yeah, I think they're from
1: Scandinavia sure, go to an example of a band who are being very hidden about what their background is. There's this strange myth about mm. them being from some distant village in the mountains, and that they're, they're there's some mystical thing in there. So that they might be an example of a, a Scandinavian band who are trying to hide their maybe they're
0: pretending to be Scandinavian when they're actually from Dig Cop. But we don't know, <laughs> you know. So, any more thoughts on the album? I mean, it's uh.
1: Yeah, I didn't. I didn't think it was really easy listening, partially because of the themes involved. I mean, you know, fair enough that, that that's an artist who's exploring things and uh, do, doing so in a very articulate way. I think, but it's not not always fun or easy to listen to. No,
2: I respect it, but I'll never listen to it again.
0: <laughs> really? Yeah. I mean, I I would say it's definitely well worth hunting out. I mean, I think anything they do, anything, whether under the name of the knife or fever ray is is worth hunting out really really interesting spin on modern music and endlessly creative not always the easiest listen but certainly worth checking out no no problem about very that.
2: interesting for yes sure.
0: yeah. yeah well thanks very much for coming in amy and brian it's thanks been a pleasure having you again thank you next episode is probably going to drop fairly soon if you're listening to this one soon after it's been published because we're going to be looking at our top 10 albums of 2018 as voted by everybody who's ever been a guest for 2017 rather voted by everyone who's ever been a guest on the podcast. And it's going to be very, very interesting to see what comes out in the top 10 there. Last year we had a much smaller pool of people to choose from. And I I do know, I think roughly how it's going to turn out and I'm pleased with how eclectic the list looks like being. Thanks again to the panel today. And just to say, listen to episode 24 and also keep an eye on our interview pods, which have come through the feed. We had Steve Reynolds, who's a local DJ from Reading on uh, fairly recently, and that's a really good listen. But thanks again, folks, at soundingboard69 on Twitter and hope to have you listening next time.